Hello, and welcome to the Noise Careers Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I am here with Chris Farron. Chris just put out a solo record that I've been listening to the living hell out of. Well, all right, I've been listening to it a lot. I don't know if you should listen to the living hell out of uh, records and if that's a good or a bad thing. But uh, regardless, it is a very well-crafted, awesome record, and we get into how that he made that happen. I think this is a pretty rad conversation. We really get into some songwriting specifics, and Chris is very good at talking about this stuff. So I think it's super, super insightful, especially for anybody who's thinking about making music on their own. I also want to say that... Um, we are looking for ideas for who we should have for podcast guests. So if you have any ideas, tag us on Twitter and at both them and noise creators and let us know who we should be having on this podcast. With that said, I think this is a pretty rad episode, so check it out. Hey, one second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So why a solo record instead of another band record? Um, Primarily because uh, I can tour solo uh, easiest, basically. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not super difficult to tour as Anar with Antarctica Vespucci, mm -hmm. um, but it, it is kind of a time thing. And both Jeff Rosenstock, the other mm. guy in the band, uh, he has his own solo thing that's going really well, and I've been kind of easing into a solo type situation for the past few years. Um, and so it just kind of schedule wise, it just became a lot easier uh, for me to just tour as a solo guy. Um, and it, it was more just about like I could play at first I could play fake problems songs, my old band fake problems. Mm, yes. I could play Antarctica Vespucci songs and I could, you know, play whatever. And it was just kind of like this all immersive, like any project I wanted, I could play. Um, I think in the future, like with this record coming out, um, it will kind of transition more into just my solo songs. Mm. And then I'll have, and then that makes, I feel like it makes the experience of seeing Antarctica Vespucci more special because you're not going to hear me play those songs. Um, that's, you know, that I think I've got a few more tours worth of playing a few Antarctica Vespucci songs, but I think in general, the goal is to just have my projects kind of be very separate. 
Gotcha. Uh, much, much to um, every drunken fan who doesn't understand that when they come to see you live requesting other songs. Dismay. I know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, another thing, um, Antarctica Vespucci has a, a very distinct sound because it's really uh, Jeff's production style and his his whole vibe. And I I admire him so much and I, I love working with him. I love continuing to work with him. And it inspired me to like kind of think like, what what does it sound like? What it, what would it sound like if I made a record like with my style, like my production style? And what does that even mean? So after I worked with him the first time, that kind of gave me the confidence. Because he, I mean, the Antarctica Vespucci records we make, we really just make them in his like walk-in closet. Really? That <laughs> yeah. does not sound like that. I know, because he's so good at, at everything he does, like mm. all the production and everything. Um really like a very limited amount of gear goes mm. into making those records. So I was like, well, I could probably do this, you know? Mm. Um, and so, so I kind of took that and, and then I started making records on my own, just kind of not really not knowing how to do anything at all other than make demos. And I kind of just took what I knew from making demos and what I learned from Jeff. And then I started kind of trying to hone in on my own sound so is this record self-produced then? Yes. Awesome. So tell me about that process. Okay. So like I said, I I went right into, after working with Jeff the first time, kind of just thinking like, how am I going to make, um, and this is kind of a long walk to get to the record Long today. walks are great. Okay, cool. Um, but I was just thinking like, how am I going to, what am I going to do? How am I going to make my own thing and and how am I going to learn how to do it? And I figured the only way I can learn how to do it is just obviously just to do it and just to like hunker down and just really figure it out. And the only real way I could force myself to stay focused on something like that is if I knew that somehow I would get uh, attention <laughs> out of it in the end. So I was like, all right, I'll make and then I I had I decided to make uh, a Christmas album. Um Totally self-produced. And really, you know, the real point of making that record for me was just to learn how to use my computer and, and how to use all the, the limited amount of recording gear I have. And because I, you know, I gave it away for free and then we made vinyl and you can donate to it and, and all the money goes to charity and stuff like that. But, you know, primarily I just wanted to learn how to how to record better. And I knew that if I if I set a goal for myself to do this and also that it would come out and people would hear it, um, that I would, you know, I, I would work hard on it and do my best as opposed to just making demos that I, you know, know that nobody's ever going to hear. There's not really that much pressure to make it sound good. Um, so that was the first thing I made and then that went well and I felt like I, I, I got pretty good at it. And then I made a, an, another EP and I, you know, keep making steps and just keep learning things along the way. And then when it came time to make this record, I didn't have anybody attached to it. I didn't have a, a budget or any, any label uh, initially. So I made the record and then I, I sold it to side one. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I just made it myself. I've made it with all the, the stuff I've accumulated, which is really not that much gear. I mean, the, pretty much all I'm looking at, I'm in my little studio space right now. And all I really have is a Scarlett uh, 1820 interface thing. I, I, would, I, I would never have known. That's awesome. That's great to hear. And you're like a, re a real deal music 
man. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I like that title. That's good. I, thought, I might have to change my bio. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. It really, I, I, I really feel like um, it, it was funny. Like this week, I started really listening to the record, and then I went back to get context for this interview. And I really feel like it's a funny thing because, like, I have this. I've just written a book that, like, kind of hypothesizes this thing of that, like, you know. We have a myth that great songwriters happen because uh, they're amazingly talented, but usually there's a foil in the band who's really doing it. And that's why when a bassist leaves a band, sometimes a band goes to hell and everybody's like, that bassist barely played anything, but the bassist was the person keeping the songwriter from their bad habits. And yeah. you made this on your own, and I think this is your every bit of your work and your songwriting and your production, everything, this is the you doing you the best you've ever done it. Well, I really thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, so is there anything you did, though, to keep objectivity and keep yourself in line? That You, um, you know, I would share it with people close to me, at, you know, throughout the process or through the writing process. I remember definitely... Jeff Rosenstock was a big help because I would share songs with him and kind of get his his input. And um, the other people I made the record with, um, my friend Sean, who played drums, and my friend Casey, who played guitar, you know, we kind of bounced a lot of ideas back and forth. And, you know, it's just kind of that thing of like, you don't really know how you feel about a song until you show it to somebody. I mean, you can... I guess you can feel a certain way, but it still feels very like a big question mark. And then even if even if it's it doesn't even really have to do most of the time with their reaction to the song. It's just feeling like that sense of like either embarrassed or like like kind of like, isn't this cool when you play it for somebody that like kind of activates in my brain mm -hmm. because I can feel myself like when I have a song that I'm not sure about and I start playing it for somebody and I immediately feel embarrassed regardless of their reaction. I'm like, oh, I, I, this, something needs to change about this. And then I'll, you know, either throw the song away or, or change it up. Um, so that was helpful. And, and then just, you know, like just actual input from, from those guys just saying like, you know, maybe you want to, this part here or something like that. Just like little, little snippet type ideas like that. Gotcha. But, yeah. but there was definitely that fear, like you said, like if, you know, sometimes there's a band member who wrangles in the songwriter to keep keep their head like, you know, from going too crazy or, or self-indulgent or whatever. And I was worried that that since I was kind of untethered completely creatively um, and that I could just do whatever I wanted, I was worried like, what if what I want is bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real feeling, especially like you know you're coming from a band environment onto collaborating with a very strong songwriting personality, and then it's like, okay, well now there's no one to blame but you. Right, exactly. But I, I th think in that respect, you you did kill it. So, um, these guys played some guitar and drums. Was there any other instrumentation, or is this mostly you doing everything? Um, I would say I I probably play about eighty percent of every. Or yeah, 80% of everything in terms of everything else. Like, definitely Sean played all the drums. Um, Casey played, I think, uh, most, most, uh, both of those guys played on most of the songs. I think there's like two or three exceptions that maybe I played stuff. Um, uh, and I know I had some people play horns. Jeff Rosenstock played horns, and he also uh, sang a 
backups on a few songs. My friend Matt Agrella from a great band called Look Mexico, he played horns and did some backup vocals. And then my friend Laura Stevenson as well did some backup vocals. I think that's it. Nice. Um, well, the credits will cover you if you didn't, uh, didn't do the, all that. So t- tell me uh, how a song usually comes to being for you. You have like such great narrative lyrics is it how does that that because like what i also appreciate about your music is i find most people with really narrative lyrics fail at making the music narrate it with it is there any way you get that synergy you could tell me about uh yeah i can i can go through my my process um (laughs) (laughs) let's see it's it kind of it i feel like it varies but it's possible that i'm just not paying attention when i'm doing it um but i feel like the best songs for me always just come from me sitting down with an acoustic guitar either super early in the morning or super late at night um it's kind of in those times of day where i am in some way just too out of my head um not thinking of you know my typical anxieties are like you know just like the day the the crappy stuff that happens through the day um and my my brain is just kind of mush and that's when i feel like i write the best stuff because i'm i'm just not thinking i'm not like trying to be cool or Mm -hmm. or anything i'm just i'm just trying to like unload my brain so that's kind of when most of it happens i feel like and most of the time it's just with an acoustic guitar other times like i'll just get going on like a a drum loop and and a, and a guitar or a keyboard and I'll just kind of it, I feel like I am always writing writing lyrics and music at the same time. Uh, that's that's how it happens most of the time. I mean, definitely like I'll I'll pick up a cue. I'll I'll like look at my phone and and find some random line I thought of when I was taking a walk or something, and I'll start with that and then I'll just I'll just go and then that'll lead me to like. You know the, the the that'll start. It starts with the verse, and then I go into the pre-chorus, and then the chorus. Like it's it's all very like in a line, which like I I hear. I don't know what you what your thought is on this, and I'm sure a lot of people can, can do it well. Um, but like I read a lot of like songwriting books, and a lot uh-huh. of a lot of times people are like, you got to start with the chorus because otherwise you don't have a song, which yes. I guess is is true for mm-hmm. sure. That's true, but I can never start with a chorus because I don't. I feel like a chorus is like a, a, a summation of what you're talking about. And I don't, I, I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I need to start with the verse. I, I, but I, it's funny because as somebody who's listened to your songs for years, I can tell because like, I also feel like a lot of people, it's like their songs are, here's a thought for the verse. Maybe the second verse is a little connected to that thought, but the chorus is almost a different thought and a different way of looking at it. Whereas I feel like you have a much more of a narrative arc that starts somewhere and ends somewhere almost like a book with your song. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I just feel anytime, and I'm sure, I, I definitely have songs out there that I am, I feel maybe I didn't completely land this, but I feel like anytime I make a song that's not, that doesn't make sense to me that I can't be like, that's what that means. Like that's obvious to me. Uh, I just feel disappointed. Like I can, I know, I know when I'm like, just saying when I like look, look at a song and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like then it just like, it just feels weird. And I was listening to, 
I don't I don't want to talk about another podcast oh, on your fine. podcast. No, 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 no. <laughs> listen, I, I am the king of that because I no one listens to more podcasts. Okay, cool. I listened to the Rivers Cuomo song exploder. That's my favorite episode of it's incredible. A music, that, that that spreadsheet stuff and all that. I mean, I literally I've never shared a podcast. Uh, episode with more friends than when I got yeah. done with that, I hit that share button like 60 times to everyone I knew. Totally me too. But at the same time, like I cannot, for some reason, I can't reckon with the idea that I, I could just string a bunch of stuff together and just be like, here's this thing. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, mm. But he seems so confident and like cool about it that I'm like, God, I, I really want to try something like that. But it's just, I, I just haven't been able to do it yet. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, there, there's also a thing of, you know, when um you've been meditating since 10 years old and you're in your 40s, your <laughs> mind is going to be totally different than somebody else. And, yeah, uh, that's true. The, but, uh, I, I, you know, I admire that the spreadsheet thing in that podcast that he can keep that like that's so much more organized than like I always make this joke. I'm like um, bands can save like three hundred dollars a record if they just organized all their um, ideas more properly in iTunes or their voice memo app. Because we just spend an hour to three hours every record of them trying to find the harmony idea that they're looking for. Yep, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so to get back to you, um, we were talking a little bit. Oh, actually, I wanted to ask, what are some of the songwriting books you've enjoyed? Um, okay, so I just got uh, songwriters on songwriting. I, just, I haven't even I haven't even started reading it yet. I just so. finished it. Like in, the I've been dabbling with the artist's way. Uh-huh. By Julia Cameron, which is a little uh little I, I'm dabbling me. because it's like pretty immersive. It's like something that you have to like it, there's like work involved with it. So I, I like uh a lot of it. I just I'm just uh Well, I, I think the most helpful thing from that book is that morning pages thing. And you're talking about being somebody who's productive in the morning. It's right. Like exactly. that thing of like getting out of your head once to twice a day and like getting out of there. I think that that point from the book is a phenomenal point. I, I just realized I found out about that book from that Rivers Cuomo podcast. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes two of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got, um, what is that? That's not the first one. It's not uh, uh, the war of art. Yep. Classic. I love that book. And then there's a, there's like a second one called turning pro, uh -huh. which is great. Um, Writing Better Lyrics by Pat Pattis Pattison. The classic. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, what else do I got in here? I think those are the that's the main stuff. I just cool. got uh the some sort of songwriter's handbook. It's another one I haven't read yet, but I'm looking Look at get up. more fans the DIY <laughs> to the new music business <laughs> nice. right in front of me. <laughs> nice. nice. It's a great I love that book. Great job. I Th love it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um so let's get back to your process a little bit more. You're talking a little bit about, like, we were getting into that you could be disappointed with the way a song comes out. So when does it usually occur to you that this song is done and ready to be done? Is there something that happens along in this process? It's most of the time uh, once I figure out, like, the the bridge. I have mm. such a difficult time with bridges. It's insane. Mm. I don't know why. I just feel... It, so this used to be the case for me when I was like t really younger, when I was just trying to figure out songs. Like I had such a a hard time with choruses, not making like a catchy thing, but just more of like I felt so contrived, like just making a chorus and like 
oh, this is the summation. I don't know why. It was like it was such a a, a young foolish thing that I didn't want to be. It was like a maybe it was a punk thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were needlessly rebelling against things that we don't need. That's how we're raised. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and now, for some reason, the bridge to me, it's just every time I, I like come up come upon it, like I. I think it's it's a tactic because I'm I'm afraid to figure it out and I don't know and I'm like uh it's it's just a weakness of mine right now that I need to kind of break through but it's it's always just like what do I do here like and then I'm and then I like think oh well like this is a song in major so I'll go to a minor and then mm-hmm. I just start doing it. I'm like this is every song ever written um and I just I, I'm having a hard time breaking through that um and I've you know I feel good about the the stuff I've released that have bridges and stuff, but that's definitely like the biggest roadblock for me in songwriting. Um, and I think kind of once I figure out a bridge in a song, that's when I'm like, okay, I know. Okay. This is pretty much done. That, that, that is funny. Cause like, I feel like as a producer who has to analyze people's songs, like my number one comment is often, why the fuck is this bridge in this song? Like great, this, I this, love it. This, it's, it's just, it's just like this is this has no connection to the song. It's like you wrote that song and then you were like, oh well, this is the one I didn't finish, so I'll just put that with this one. And it's like, great, yeah, what the fuck? Let's let's rethink this. Let's make it a little relative. I mean, but there's a funny thing in that, that I loved in that uh, songwriters on songwriters because they somebody talked about that they always write their bridges with the notes that aren't in the key of the song that they're doing. And I was like, how have I never thought of that in like 30 years of working on songs? What do you mean notes? Okay, so let's oh. say, say you know, we have 12, technically we have 11 notes in the the thing, and then whatever's not in the, the main key of the song, those are the oh. notes they use for the progression. Yeah. It's, it's pr- 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 and it was like a songwriter that was like, all right, I like their stuff. That's pretty interesting that they do. I can't remember which one because you read so many songwriters in that book, but it was pretty interesting. That is interesting. That's a key change situation. Yeah, must, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That has to be. Yeah. Um, so back to you. Um, in the uh, in the process of making this record, uh, did you mix it yourself too? Did wow, it's, that's, which, that's really impressive. It sounds which great. I think I, I think it, it's even I've read it so many times. It might even be in your book that just says it, don't mix your own record. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually it's usually a very very bad idea for a lot of people who don't uh, get creative process and don't have practice in it. I so. think I was probably mixing my record when I read that part of your book. <laughs> <laughs> very good. That's always good for a little self doubt. <laughs> which I think was probably helpful because I was just like, okay, don't. Like get out of your head, do this right because you don't really have the an other option right now. Um, yeah. So, I while I feel like I hear your past songwriting, this I do hear some new influences. Can you tell me about what has been changing in you on from this record from the last Antarctica stuff? Yeah, totally. Um, I just kind of. You know, I've always been kind of into like the pop song and just the pop structure and everything. And uh, I don't know, I was listening to a lot of really simple songwriters like, um, and I don't mean to like, I I hope that they would feel good about me calling them that. But like Mm -hmm. bands like Magnetic Fields and Coconut Records and like, I guess Bell and Sebastian to a degree, I think they might get a little overloaded on instrumentation sometimes. But Songwriting wise, Bell and Sebastian, um, like Jens Lechman and mm-hmm. 
And I was listening to this sound. This is, I can't avoid this sounding pretentious. So I'm just going to say it. Like a lot of like French pop music. Uh, I do uh, do that. Some of my favorite stuff. Oh, cool. Like this woman, I, I got like a, I don't know, like a, a, an 80s song, like compilation of this woman, France Gall from, she's like a, a singer from like the, probably the 60s. Um, and Serge Gainsbourg wrote a lot of her songs and stuff like that. And it's just so cool. And I can't, I like, I like it because I can kind of get, I don't think, I don't know what they're saying. So I, I'm kind of just fully immersed in the melody and the, the song writing and, and the kind of the style stylistic stuff that's going on in the background. Um, so yeah, just a lot of stuff like that and and trying to figure out how to apply that to what I already know about myself and the way I write songs. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of what I call like the uh the songwriters uh songwriter songwriters songwriters like the, the those uh few like Stephen Merritt. I think Stephen Merritt's the only For one sure. who, would, who wouldn't want that title cuz he's a grumpy asshole, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh but uh it's funny with the French pop stuff. There's this one that stuff has always been such a huge influence because they seem so much more daring t- with taking different instruments that normally don't uh, align with the context that most people are using the other instruments in. Like they were like the first people to bring like a Moog in when they have an orchestra backing, and you're like, oh right. wow, this is like fucking crazy. They were doing this in the 70s. Yeah, um, totally. There's this record, uh, April March Chromin and Stakoder. That's like a retro throwback kind of like the white stripes for that stuff that like is probably the record i've listened to the most in the last like 15 years awesome i just made a note nice um so with that uh your influences with that what's an influence that people would be shocked is in your music that they would least suspect i really 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 like a lot I won't say everything, but a lot of stuff Mike Patton does. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just think he's so crazy talented. He's such a great vocalist and he has such a weird sensibility. And I love that. I love the weirdness. I think he he's a really good thing when you're a singer. Like I always say, like him and uh, Joe Strummer are like the guys to study on how you can use so many different inflections to get an emotion out of a vocal. Absolutely. What happened? So this record's out now. You talked about making this because you can tour by yourself. Is that the plan to tour by yourself for a while? No band. Yes. Nice. And what is your plan with that? So this record comes out in early September, and then what happens? Um, I. I will be hitting the road as as fast as possible. Right now, the I have a tour that's not announced yet, unfortunately, hmm. but uh, that will take me on tour through October and November, which I'm excited about. And then, you know, the way it seems to go is I start freaking out that nothing's going to happen tour wise, and then like the next day something happens. So <laughs> yeah, that, that does seem like that's a. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's almost like the inception of how something happens for a bit. Yeah, just like the the moment of sheer panic and like you emailing everybody who you work with, like what's happening, and then the next day it's like, oh, by the way, here you go. (laughs) (laughs) It it really does see that. It's also uh, how it goes for studio. But uh, as far as like a live show, this is something that just kind of clicked into my head like a couple days ago, Mm -hmm. uh, and I've already started kind of putting it into effect. Um, So I've been pretty much mostly solo touring uh other than when i'm with antarctica vespucci for the past 
two years now, and I've just been with an acoustic guitar everywhere I go, which is great and very, very easy. Um, and I've just been trying to think of how to keep it very easy for me because most of the time I'm getting offered tours with with bands who I know or kind of know or friends of mine, and they're the 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 idea is basically come to this meet meet with us at this tour and you'll ride with us and you'll open the shows and it'll be great uh which is great but anytime like i'm like oh i want to start bringing you know my friend casey who plays guitar or something it's like it's just not an option yet um but so i've been trying to figure out how to kind of achieve more sonically so i and i've I kind of have toyed with the idea of like playing to like drum machines and stuff in the past and then just kind of shied away from it because I get really scared that just something will go wrong. And I kind of the past really the past week I've I've kind of broken through that and I've I got like a looper pedal that can like store whatever three hours. I got yeah. a what a loop station RC three, that's what it's called. Um and I I've been making and I'm still working on all these, but uh, I've been making backing track type versions of the songs on the record and some other songs. Um, so basically, what that means is I'm I'm going into the to the file and I'm uh, taking the the real drums out and and replacing them with fake drums, um, kind of meticulously, like just like looking at where the kick is and then. Put, putting a, a fake kick in there and looking at where the snare is. And I, I just, I'm, I'm making it so it's, it sounds fake. I don't want it to sound like I'm playing over the real version of the song. It just, for some reason to me, that seems absurd. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I'm with you. You know, like when Ted Leo first left Chisel, I remember his first tours, he did something very similar of like, he didn't do what was on the records. He did like a new drum loop type thing. And right. man, I fucking loved that recontextualization of like those songs that I loved. And since he couldn't play with the band I loved anymore, it was awesome. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I, I'm, 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 and then I'm also like replacing a lot of the the like the lead guitar parts with synth parts and just kind of crazy sounds just to kind of make it feel more like I, in a weird way. I feel like it makes it more organic to make it sound fake if you're seeing me play live to not to, like if there's not a band there it feels more just honest and mm -hmm. upfront that's like this is totally not a band these are obviously electronic drums this is obviously a synthesizer and like i'm not like trying to trick anybody like you mm -hmm. know so i'll be doing like have that and then i've also i'll still be playing uh guitar and mm -hmm. uh and that, that's kind of, I'm going to try that out. I've got a tour coming up and I'm going to see how that goes. And then if it, if it works out and nothing, you know, sets on fire on stage <laughs> or anything, I'll probably keep, keep that going. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. 
I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.